Welcome to Choosing Leadership, a podcast for high performers with big dreams and for leaders who know that they are more powerful than the level that they are currently playing. I am Sumit Gupta, your host and the founder CEO of the Deploy Yourself School of Leadership. I am here to help the best leaders get better and to help organizations massively improve their output and impact and at the same time eradicating workplace stress. Yes completely eradicating not just reducing completely eradicating i believe in creating a future and a work culture where people wait for mondays not fridays and get to do their most meaningful work the aim of this podcast is not to provide you more content but instead shift the context under which you operate this podcast is titled choosing leadership because that is what leadership is a choice In each episode I will celebrate leaders who have made such choices which are not always easy and comfortable but which has helped them get to where they are today. And let us celebrate the leader in us for choosing to move over our fears, for choosing to be motivated by something bigger than ourselves and for choosing to deal with every challenge that comes on the way. Let us celebrate you right now for stepping into the unknown and taking courageous action as those were the moments when you chose leadership at the end i will share how you can be our next guest on this podcast and with that let's get started caroline is the founder and ceo of social founder a network for founders of charities and social enterprises in the interview caroline a remarkable woman who challenged societal expectations starting from a very young age shares her journey from defying traditional gender roles to becoming a successful founder she broke free from cultural constraints to venture into publishing teaching and later the charity sector she founded the media trust and even launched a community focused television channel her story is an inspiration for anybody striving to make a significant impact while maintaining a fulfilling life beyond their career hi caroline Welcome to the Choosing Leadership podcast. Hi, Sumit. It's lovely to meet you and to to get to know you a little bit as well. So absolutely, I'm, yeah, I'm, it's a pleasure. Yeah, why don't you start by sharing a bit about yourself? Hi, cool. Okay, so I'm Caroline Deal, and I live in London. And I, for many years, I was the founder and chief executive of a UK-wide charity called the Media Trust, which connects the media industry with charities but crucially giving a voice to the people at the charities support i now have set up a new organization called the social founder network or usually we just call it social founders which is a support organization for founders of social impact organizations that can be charities and community groups or social enterprises that are trading mm. to make impact and make money or even a for profit so it's great fun starting again at my age, i think i am loving the energy that being a founder mm. and starting again when some people say to me oh if you retire now i say no way i'm <laughs> starting again so that's great thank you thank you for sharing that and this podcast is titled choosing leadership Uh, because i think many times we have those choices which might not be the easiest one or the one set out for us 
but we choose something to create something or to fulfill a desire or a longing. And I think you have done that multiple times. So before we talk about what you're doing now, can you share a bit of your backstory? Like how did you get into entrepreneurship or even change or impact or charities? Where where do the dots connect? Yeah, it's an interesting question because I was brought up really by my parents to be to get married, have children, not work. It was like in my culture and my family who came from Argentina and America, it wasn't done to work. And if you were a doctor, you were probably going to be, as a woman, you're probably going to be single and unhappy and not have children. And even if you were a teacher. And I fought against that, but I never really knew what I would do. So I, I worked in publishing, which is amazing and fantastic. I then worked in teaching and became a head of department and a leader in the school. And then I moved into the charity sector because I felt I, I love teaching. I love the children. I love the, the work. I learned so much from it, but I felt I cannot spend my whole life in a classroom. And I had mm. got involved in the women's liberation movement, and that had opened my eyes to everything, so much else that was going on, and to that concept of social change and campaigning and the difference that individual people could make. So I ended up working in, in my 20s in the charity sector in a leadership role there, uh, running a big network of uh, projects that were linked to broadcasting projects across the UK. And I worked there for about eight years, taking on more and more responsibility, more and more budget, more and more staff. And then I took the plunge and set up my own organization. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting. I often, well, I don't often, but when I'm doing some, an interview like this, I remember that I had this idea that I pitched to my boss in the charity where I was working. The charity was a volunteer charity, which matched volunteers all over the UK with all sorts of different projects, care projects, media projects. I pitched this project to her and I said, I've got this great idea. We could get the media industry to volunteer all these amazing creatives that don't know about charities, get them to volunteer their skills, to advise with PR, yeah. to make films. And I just thought, this is such a great idea. And she didn't want to do it. So that idea nagged away at me and thought, no, there's something in this. And then I just took the plunge. I, was, I just had my second child. I was kind of the main breadwinner. My partner was an actor, so like mm. uncertain income. I was the main breadwinner in the family. We had a mortgage on a house that we just bought. But I took the plunge and set up this new charity called the Media Trust. Mm. to do exactly what I had pitched to my old boss to do mm. it myself. Yeah. And it was the best thing I ever did. So yeah. that's what got me into the world of yeah. Uh, yeah. being a founder and a chief executive. Mm. I think teaching, interestingly, teaching taught me a lot about leadership. I learned so much in teaching. I was a teacher for four years and rose very fast up the, sort of the, the mm. management ladder in the school. I learned so much about planning, about taking people with you, because you might have a class of disadvantaged kids or negative kids, mm. incredible range of abilities within the class. Yeah. You had to inspire them and engage mm. them and keep them happy. Or again, the, the teaching staff were very varied. 
Some of them were really grumpy and really negative. Mm. Some of them were super positive and super inspirational, committed. And you had to balance those work with very different kinds of people. I learned a lot. And then teaching is like being an actor. Mm. You have to stand up in front of people and lead them, you know, get them yeah. to do things that they don't want to do, them, yeah. inspire yeah. them, praise them, mm. make them see the positive side of everything, glass half full rather than glass half empty. I learned so much from teaching. Mm. So teaching can obviously be a wonderful training ground for leadership, as you said, talking to people and also being in front of an audience and then dealing with everything that comes when you are in front of an audience. And I think it would be naive to think that it gets easier when you are talking to adults. But many times uh, it's <laughs> the same shocks or surprises or the emotions can still surprise you as a leader. Right? But there is one thing which I want to focus on, which you said that growing up as a woman, you fought against a notion of what a woman can do or should do. And many times when we are doing so, it's a fighting against something. And that can be a difficult or a stressful process because you are actually like creating your own way and that can be very lonely. And then over time, you create a level of grounding or confidence that you fight for something. And can you share how that transition was for you? Like when you fought against something and how did you move to like standing on your feet, developing that groundedness to actually fight for something in a more sustainable way? Yes, it's interesting. I, I often look back and I think, why did it take me so long? Hmm. I, th I think I lived in some way in a very sort of isolated world. And I often think, why was that? But, and I don't know why it was. So it took me quite a long time. I was very influenced by books when I was a kid. I read a lot. And a lot of the books I read were about the young, they were novels, but they were about the kids living under occupation from the Roman army. Hmm. Or they were, they were novels about how awful, it was being a chimney sweep in London in the 19th, in the 18th century, the 19th century. So the, the books were about people living under oppression, whether it's class or whether it's occupation or people, kids with disabilities. A lovely book that I read when I was very young called The Secret Garden, which focuses around two kids who are isolated, one with a disability. So I think that influenced me. But it's about knowing where to go. Uh, it was definitely university helped enormously. I went to Cambridge uh -huh. and got very involved in a lot of groups and volunteering. I got very involved with the Chilean refugees who were coming over from the coup with Allende. A lot of them came to Cambridge. A lot of them didn't speak very good English. A lot of them needed help with housing and benefits. And I got very involved in supporting them because I spoke Spanish, my Argentine mother. Uh, I got involved in the very first kind of environmental groups that were campaigning for environmental change and all sorts of things like that. So I think that's, that made me realize as well that you could create social change. There were ways to make a difference, but I still didn't really know what I was going to do career-wise. Mm. Uh, when I left university, I suddenly thought, oh, I know what I want to do. I want to be a doctor. But I'd done my degree already. So, so while I was working in publishing, I started doing science A-levels to, to mm. be able to get into medical school in my 20s. But then I, in the end, I decided 
I got into medical school, but it was like outside London. I wanted to stay living in London. So I chickened out. Mm. It was yeah. a kind of, it wasn't a straight line. So it was definitely doing lots of stuff on the side. Mm. People talk now about side projects. Yeah. There wasn't a concept that was around at the time, but that I think I would give advice to anybody at any stage of their life, whether they were super young or super ancient, have side projects, do things on the side, learn about new things, test out ideas that you can do, get involved in volunteering, campaigning, wherever your curiosity takes you. And there's always a, a little bit of space, even if you've got a very busy job and you, or you've got kids or elderly parents or whatever that you need to look after, find something that you're passionate about doing yeah. and do that on the side because that will sometimes widen your horizons mm. and give you access to new routes to take. Absolutely. I think that's a wonderful point because uh, like we live in a rational world and sometimes we can get connect disconnected from our hearts and what we care about. And many times when we find our first profession or even education, it's like fitting a standard or fitting like what it should be or what can give you the most uh, like career growth or something like that. But when you choose a side product, side project, like it's, it's that curiosity. It's something which appeals to you at a level which is beyond reasoning, which is which is something deeper. And even if you don't enjoy that, you still find out something about yourself. And that's so powerful, especially in the long term. That's so true. You learn so much. Yes. yes, absolutely. So can you share a bit more, right? Once you started the Media Trust, how was that process to, to your growth as act to what you're trying to do? And then how did you navigate that journey? Yes, so I started the Media Trust in 1994. My second child was just six months old. And it was an incredible experience. It was a real roller coaster of being a founder of something. You're never quite sure what's going to happen. I would say that I had this very clear vision of what I wanted to do, which was to harness the incredible creativity and skills, communication skills of the media and creative industries. The digital sector hadn't really set up yet. It was you know, pre-Google and things. So it's hard to imagine now. But I wanted to harness the creative skills of the media industry in the UK and get put them to good use in the charity sector. Because I knew from my previous job in the charity that I was where I was working that there were incredible charities all over the UK. It was like the, the bulk of the iceberg, invisible. People knew about one or two big ones like Save the Children or Oxfam, but they didn't know about the incredible network of small community organizations, small national organizations, international organizations, touching everybody's lives. So I wanted to, to get the incredible media industry in the UK, which is very strong. Creative industries in the UK have one of our assets, I think, in this country. They're full of passionate people. They're very diverse. It's in 1994, mm. less so, but nonetheless, and harness that, those skills to give a voice to the charity sector and to the people that the charity sector would help. And it was a two-way, very simple concept in many ways, that the media industry would give their skills and their creativity mm. and their platform, but the charity sector would give new voices, diverse voices, incredible stories back to the media industry. Mm. Uh, our 
Our second chair was quite a well-known journalist called John Snow, who for 30, more than 30 years was the presenter of Channel 4 News in the UK. Mm. And he was our chair, uh, which was amazing. And he called us the dating agency, which mm. I thought was a lovely idea. Because we were basically at the heart of everything we were doing was matching uh, mm. these skills. And so we had a film production division making charity films. Uh, we had amazing training courses that, for the charity sector that would be run by media companies, run by media volunteers, so that we didn't have to spend masses of money doing all this. We then got involved in giving support to young people, yeah. training them how to become creatives, mm. getting them to work, to do work experience, first of all, but then to get jobs yeah. in the media industry, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. And yeah. it started off with just me and a wonderful supporter who joined the board straight away called Joe Simpson, who helped mm. me raise funds. And then we grew it. And it's still going really strong now. You can look it up online. It's mediatrust.org and it's working really well. Do you want to ask me more questions about it? It's probably the best thing. Maybe a couple of uh, tough choices that you had to make, which were very instrumental for your own growth as a leader, as, a, as somebody who is leading an organization which is growing and also making an impact. That's a really interesting question. I think I was hungry to grow it. I wanted mm. to prove to the world that I could do mm. it because I had the vision, but also because I had taken this big leap as an individual to set it up, big risk. Yeah. I wanted to be, make it a success for personal reasons as well. Mm. And then thirdly, I, wanted, I needed to make sure that I could get an income from it as well. So I was hungry to grow it. I was ambitious for it. Biggest challenge in some ways, which is both a challenge, but also a strength, was that often to raise funds and attract partners to grow the organization, you had to create projects. You couldn't just say, oh, we're just going to match volunteers. You had to create initiatives that had a great story, that had a very clear impact. And sometimes those could take you in a slightly different direction. Mm. So I think getting the balance right between focus. Yeah and scale of a very simple concept alongside the need to be creative and create innovative mm. projects and sometimes go off in a slightly different direction. That was always the challenge and still mm. remains the challenge. And it makes it exciting, but it, you can also end up being not focused enough. Mm. I'd say that was a big challenge. And we did grow through creating amazing initiatives and projects. like. A huge program supporting young people from diverse mm. and disadvantaged backgrounds to yeah. get into the media industry. And now yeah. it's so exciting for me because now they're scattered around the media industry. They're running organizations, they're top directors, they're mm. winning BAFTA awards. They're, they're all over the media and the yeah. digital industry. And I think, yeah. yeah, I remember when you started as a young mm. volunteer, not yes. being able to say boo to a goose. We launched a television channel as well. So that was a kind yes. of very different to the dating yeah. agency, but it was still the same concept. So mm. it was when digital television took off in the UK, we, I thought, it's crazy. There's television channels about everything. Golf, 
sharks, mm. you name it. There was a television channel about it, but there wasn't a television channel about community voices, charities, mm. whatever. Yeah. Well, I pitched to the media industry to say, hey, I've got this idea. Yeah. I think so, there should be yeah. a channel dedicated to, yes. media, to the community. Mm. And we did yeah. it. And it's still going strong. Yes. So you said something about proving right to yourself and it being a personal reason. Yeah. When was uh, the time when you actually felt that you have proved it? Then, oh, that's so good that you say that so much because in a funny kind of way, my instinctive reaction is to say, never, you can never, mm. you can never sit back and think, yes, I've done it. I think every day I smile to myself and I think the media trust is still there because I've left. Uh, that was an interesting yeah. journey around making the decision to leave, but I'm still really happy it's still there. It's run by a fantastic chief executive an amazing team, great board. Mm. It's there, it's still there. Ditto, the, the television channel is still there. Mm. But I think one of the things about entrepreneurs is that you never just sit back and say, that's it, I'm satisfied, it's fine. Yeah. I think there's that really interesting combination of almost self-doubt. I've got, to, I've got to prove, I've got to make sure people know about this, that it's good, that they like it. But at the same time, a sort of competition, you want to win, nah, 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 nah. Yeah. Uh, it's ambition, there's uh, all sorts of hmm. different feelings in there. I've never had sessions with a psycho psychoanalyst, but I probably should one day because I think that, <laughs> that whole issue about the founder energy and the founder drive, which mm. I'm now working on a lot with the Social Founders Network, is so interesting. Hmm. So tell me more about the Social Founders Network, right? What led to that transition? I started to realize after about 25 years of being at the Media Trust, it had grown enormously at a five million pound turnover. We had the national television channel that was broadcasting 24 hours a day. It was big. It was well known. I started to think, should leaders, should founders, I should say, should founders stay forever? If you're not the founder and if you're a chief executive who's appointed by your board, you'll usually stay maybe six years, maybe 10, maybe even 15. But then there's a sort of natural passing on. You go to another job. Founders often tend to stay forever. Look at Rupert Murdoch. Even he's, although he's saying he's stepped down as chairman, he's still calling himself executive chairman. He's never going to let go. And there's, so founders find it very hard to leave. And I was thinking, no, I should leave. I should. It would be good for the organization. It would be good for me to have a, a new challenge. I started to feel I was doing things in the same way. I started to have this little nagging feeling of, no, it's t I just thought I should go. And I was financially secure. I'd paid off my mortgage, so I knew I could take the risk, take the plunge. Then I thought, well, what am I going to do next? I didn't want to go and be a chief executive again somewhere, but I wanted to do something that had impact and that had a brand and that was exciting for me to do. And at the time, there was quite a lot of debate in the charity sector, but wider as well around founders and what makes a good founder. There were quite a lot of negative articles about charity founders. Some of them have been doing stupid things. And I thought, hmm. There's masses of support if you're a chief executive. There's masses of support if you're a manager. 
there's not much support out there for founders in the social impact sector. There's masses of support if you're a tech founder. If you're a tech founder, you can fail dreadfully and still be put on a pedestal. But in the charity sector, there wasn't a, an organization that was supporting founders. Hmm. So I talked to a few other founders that I knew in the charity sector and thought, said, I've got this idea for a project when I leave Media Trust. What do you think? And they all said, oh, Caroline, you've got to do it. This is such a gap. So I basically, I set up Social Founders as a kind of side project, as a hobby, really. I didn't want to turn it into a huge organization. And I, in fact, then I wasn't expecting to do this, but I ended up being executive chairman of the TV channel that we ran, which came out of the Media Trust and was set up as a separate organization. So I ended up having a, a paid job after I left Media Trust as executive chair mm. of, of the television yeah. and doing social founders on the side. Yes. But social founders, it's just been totally, utterly inspirational. And I just deliberately stepped down from being chairman of the television channel so that I can now focus on social founders. And anybody who's listening to this podcast or watching this podcast, if, they, if you're a founder, please get in touch because it's a, an amazing network. What are the new challenges or what are some of those surprising things that are showing up as challenges now in this like second or whatever you call it, a new different phase of your leadership? I think there are two challenges. One is starting again, I didn't have technical skills that mm. you now take for granted and that I have more or less taught myself. At the Media Trust, I... One of my challenges there had been delegating, mm. learning to delegate as the organization grew and grew and widened. I had to learn to delegate well. And I think on the whole, I did that quite well. Suddenly I made mistakes in delegating, but I never learned to do even an Excel spreadsheet. Mm. I certainly didn't know how to set up or build a website or do podcast interviews or anything like that. So my biggest challenge, I think, was for me personally was doing some fast learning on the tech side. And my, actually, one of my sons, both my sons work in tech. One's a tech entrepreneur. And they were brilliant. They really mm. supported me and taught me how to do lots of stuff. That was something I felt was really important. No longer could I, or did I even want to, hire people to do all my tech stuff for me. The new mm. culture now is that you do it yourself. And you yeah. need to be multi-skilled. Mm. So that was a big challenge. The second challenge was about funding. How much did I want to start fundraising and make the organization into a proper organization? Or how much do I just want to do it as a side project? And I've now just, just in the last year, I've made the decision to, to grow it big. I've set up a company for it. I've ra just raised a big contract, which I'm hiring stuff. Mm -hmm. We have an office space now, rather than me just doing it from my home office. Mm. Uh, the challenge is starting again. And my gut feeling is that I will quite quickly hire someone to run it for me. And I, I will be like the chair, the chairman, chairwoman, okay. the chair. Yeah. But I don't know. And we'll see how it goes. It's great fun starting again. Mm. Yeah. Great fun. I would really recommend to anybody mm. who's listening who's got that entrepreneurial itch, jump in yeah. there. Yeah. Jump in there. So, for, for a lot of entrepreneurs or founders, what they do can be also be all-consuming. 
So can you share a bit about yourself, which is outside of uh, like the domain of work? What else has uh, caught your curiosity? What else have you continuously invested in or started to invest in over the years? It, it is all consuming being a founder and you have to learn to manage your time. But I, when my kids were little, that was quite a challenge because I wanted to spend time with them in the evenings when I got back from work. Often I'd have to go to evening receptions and things like that. So I wouldn't even see them in the evenings. So that was a challenge. And many a time they would go to bed at nine o'clock mm. or whatever, or 10 o'clock. And, and then I would then sit down with a strong cup of coffee and work through till three in the morning or whatever. Now I'm, I don't have to do that anymore. I have a really fascinating, very full life, a very privileged to live in London because the cultural life in London is so amazing. The theatres, the galleries, the cinemas. Mm. The, I'm also very involved in different campaigning groups in London. So London is there's so much going on politically in London, socially. I'm, I've become, one of the things I wanted to do when I left the Media Trust and then when I left the TV channel, which is now called Together TV, by the way. It used to be called the Community Channel. One of the things I wanted to do was get more involved in my local community uh, in London where I live. So I piloted doing a local group for social founders and I've got very involved in all the different groups where I live in Northeast London, an area called Hackney, mm. the GG groups, the migrant groups, the poverty groups, the older people's groups, the kids groups, you name it, the environmental stuff that's going on. So that's re been really great. And I have a lovely group of friends in London as well. Who, so I spend a lot of time with my friends. I'm a great believer in physical exercise. So I go for a run or I go swimming every single day. I ran the London Marathon a few years ago, which is an amazing wow. challenge. Yeah, so, thank you for so, sharing that like full picture. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you have still made time for like friendships, uh, for family, for like running a marathon or like swimming every day. I think that's swimming uh, or uh, running every day. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. every day shows a level of dedication or a level of you're not ignoring something. Uh, well, which I is also I know it's super good for my physical health. But it's mm -hmm. also really good for my psychological health, my mental health. I, luckily, I've never had any sort of problems with mental health, but I know that yeah. you know, just going for that little 45 minute jog around the park or the little gorgeous little streets around here, it just keeps me balanced, gives me its headspace. It's probably a bit like meditation. I've never properly done meditation, but it's so brilliantly good for you. And the same with swimming up and down. I'm very lucky to have an Olympic-sized open-air swimming mm. near where I live that is kept heated all year round. So you can go swimming at six in the morning on... Mm. In the first week of January or at nine o'clock at night. And it's in a park, so the pool is surrounded by trees and in yeah. winter the, the steam comes off the water. Mm. Indeed, so, indeed. And I think it just I think keeps me balanced, definitely. Yes. Yeah, thank you for adding that, like the non-physical benefit that you get from any physical activity is that, and especially more so swimming maybe than running, that it forces you to be in the moment. Right, you yeah. cannot think about a meeting, or you cannot, uh, and that yeah. itself is uh, like relaxing for your mind. So that when you step in, many times you step in with a new insight or a different perspective, just because of that break, or just because of getting your body moving in a different set of 
chemicals released in your whole body can do a lot of wonders for your creativity, for your thought process as well. Definitely. And often when I'm running, I will be listening to a podcast, one of your podcasts mm. of it, or, or lots of, or I'll be listening to to some, something on amazing BBC sounds. Or, um, but when you're swimming, mm. I don't do that. Actually, there are some people who do have underwater headphones and listen to radio when they're swimming, mm. but I switch off completely. I'm just going to say one other thing that I think gives you is amazing for leadership. It gives you energy, inspiration more than anything. It also gives you authority, which is your network. Mm. I'm known to be a very good networker. I love engaging and talking to people at all levels of society, whether mm -hmm. they're the prime minister or running Google or whether they're a recent refugee living around the corner from me or a kid who's had serious problems and with mental health. I love networking and talking to people. And I found that has been just amazingly helpful in every element of my work life and my leadership. So I, because I'm super connected, very well connected, I, if I need help with something or if I need advice, I can mm. pick up the phone to all sorts yeah. of people. If I'm creating a project, I understand the impact that we need to have and mm -hmm. the need for that project. But more than anything, I just think the voices that you hear, the stories that you hear, the listening gives incredible energy and things and, and inspiration. Inspiration is one of my favorite words. In fact, I remember saying to Alex Khan, who I put in as chief executive for the TV channel, we should focus on the three I, mm. inspiration, income, and impact. So I think those are, for me, for my leadership journey, those are, are three very important. Yeah. The three yes. I's, inspiration, yes. income, because it's no good if you can be as inspirational and you can have as much impact in the world as you want, but if you haven't got the financial sustainability. Yeah. But the, the impact story is mm. absolutely crucial. Yeah. And just on the social founder network, what is so interesting being a social impact founder, as opposed to a tech founder or whatever, is that you have to juggle what we call the double bottom line. Mm. You, you have to bring in, you have to create an organization that is financially sustainable. Absolutely. Yeah, otherwise, there's reasons. But you also have to create social impact. And you have to make that social impact visible. You need mm. to tell your story. You need to prove to your clients, your beneficiaries, your funders, mm. your staff. They need to know about the social impact, your board. So juggling that double bottom line is a challenge and fun, yeah. but hard. Yes, yes. So before we wrap this up, I want to ask you one final question around networking, which you said is one of the like, strengths or assets that you have. Yeah. Uh, and normally, especially for young people or even founders or leaders, there is also a level of anxiety associated with the networking or a level of awkwardness that we know somebody, but there is not really a relationship. So yeah. what has been like one thing maybe that you have done to have those relationships and rather than just connections? I think you have to overcome the fear, the nerves. So sometimes you just need to take a deep breath, remember 
what you're there for, remember your vision and mm. go for it and be very authentic. Don't try and pretend that you're somebody that you're not and very quickly talk about how that person that you're approaching, networking with, can be interested by what you're doing. Mm -hmm. You might not want to go straight in with an ask. They might yeah. get pissed off if you suddenly say, give me some money or we need you to volunteer or whatever. But you, you need to have a little story that inspires them and that is authentic. And mm. you just need to fight the fear. Um, yeah. And practice. It becomes easier. I don't think it ever completely goes away. Mm. Sometimes you yeah. have to do stuff that takes you out of your comfort zone as a leader. In fact, not sometimes, it's quite often. Yeah, yes. And giving yourself the courage to do that, mm. talking to yourself and saying, no, I can do this. I can contact this person. Yeah. I think you did say the one thing, but I'm going to say one other thing as well. I could never have set up and run the Media Trust or Together TV or even Social Founders without the support of amazing people who mentored me or advised me. Just people that I trust and have learned to love, actually, who've given me advice over the years. And yeah. I think as a leader, make sure that you can build up mm. a small group of people that you absolutely love and trust. They may be, you know, they may be very different from you. But if you get that feeling yeah. that they actually like what you're trying to do, they like mm. you, hang on to that and value that and nurture those people. I could never have done what I've done without the support of a few people that I'd love to name drop here, but that just have been amazing for me in my life. Yes, yes. And I think what you're sharing is also something which I say that leadership is also giving others an opportunity to contribute. And especially the way you talked about networking is that you are thinking about them. You're thinking about what would be in their interest. And what you shared about taking a deep breath and having that courage to lean in is also like it, it's a courageous step for a leader, but it's also not for them, right? Sometimes asking can be a form of giving. Asking can be a form of helping somebody contribute, which they want to contribute. And uh, I think the, the three examples, the three tips that you shared, right? Taking a deep breath, being courageous, and then actually thinking about the other person, crafting a story. It's so applicable in not just in networking. I think in everything that we do, as leaders, it applies that it's too easy to get caught up in, in something internal. And it's so simple sometimes to just take a deep breath and keep yeah. running. Yep, yep. And then you can practice what you're going to say when you're on your run. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yes, practice. Another beautiful word, word that yeah. you mentioned. Yes. Where can anybody who is listening find out more about you or reach out to you as they come across this podcast? Okay, so... The website for Social Founders is probably a good place to go. We have a newsletter you can sign up to. It's www.social.org, socialfounder.org. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm, I use my, I have a, an MBE, so I'm Caroline Deal MBE on LinkedIn because there are actually loads of other Caroline Deals in, in the States. Mm. So you can find me on LinkedIn under Caroline Deal MBE. And you can follow me on Twitter, at, or X, I should say, rather, on X, at Caroline Deal. Or you can follow Social Founders on Twitter as well, which is at Social Founders. Yeah. Right. It's been lovely to, to talk to you, Sumit, and thank you for 
inviting me to this podcast. And I look forward to hearing more about your story as well another time. So thank you once again for being on the show and sharing so openly about, about your life, about your journey and everything that that has taught you. And as we end, I want to wish you all the best for everything that lies ahead for you. Thank you. Thank you, Sumit. And we'll be in touch. Sure. That's it for this episode of Choosing Leadership with Sumit Gupta. I choose leadership every time I record this podcast and I invite you to do the same. I invite you to design a life of joy, meaning, pride and satisfaction, not just for yourself, but for everybody around you. If you got something out of this episode, would you share this episode on social media? And if you know somebody who would be a great guest, can you tag them on social media to let them know about the show? And if you are a leader who wants to acknowledge how far you have come and have big dreams for the future, please reach out to me to be a guest on this podcast. And I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. This is what I do most naturally, to lovingly and gently provoke you, to help you see your own light, to help you see what you are already capable of. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and it means a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to deployyourself.com and subscribe to my newsletter or follow me on LinkedIn. I want to thank everyone who contributed to making this show a reality and I want to thank you for listening. Always remember that you are enough, you are loved and you matter. This is Sumit. Until next time, keep choosing leadership.